Summer is finally here, and so is the season finale of All Things Grinnell. That's right, one last episode to hold you over till the fall. This is All Things Grinnell. I'm your host, Ben Benversi. On this episode, we've got some melancholic moments, heartfelt goodbyes, and ruminations on art and life. First, we talk with Mike Latham, outgoing Vice President of Academic Affairs and Dean of the College, about his time here in Grinnell and the importance of a global education. Then we get global ourselves and talk to the language assistants from this past year, who descended upon Grinnell from Russia, Germany, and Argentina. We'll also hear from Anya Chamberlain, who graduated this year, but before she did, put on quite the art exhibit. And then to round out the show, we've got a recap of this year's Summerfest event at the college, which happened last weekend. We've got a lot to cover, so let's get going. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not represent the views of Grinnell College. Mike Latham came to Grinnell in 2014 from Fordham University, and during his five years here, he has championed initiatives such as the Institute for Global Engagement and prioritized making research opportunities available for every Grinnell student. He recently accepted the position of president at his former school, Punahou, in Hawaii. It's the largest independent K-12 school on a single campus in the United States. I sat down to talk with him before he surfed on out of town to Hawaii to reflect on his time at the college and the value of liberal arts and intercultural education. First, I asked him why he wanted to return to primary school education. Oh, that's a great question. Uh, You know, I think there there are several reasons. Uh, Intellectually and in terms of my own curiosity, I've become more and more interested in that developmental stage of of a person's life. A lot of the same issues that we work on at the college level, whether we're talking about uh, teaching people how to learn or looking at intercultural education, questions about uh, the relationship between technology and learning, uh, questions about social and emotional learning or student mental health. Uh, A lot of those things we we work on at the college level Uh are also very much in play at this earlier area. Um, And oftentimes, you know, at that earlier phase of a student's life, you can really move the needle in a a powerful way. So I think I've become more and more curious uh, about that period of development. And I think really, honestly, it's always been in the back of my head in any case. I actually began my work as as a high school teacher. That's right. Um, and I think that uh, there's something very appealing about having the chance to go back to that. The other personal side of it is um, uh, I know myself pretty well, and I like having a steep learning curve. I like mm-hmm. having something that's <laughs> that's new and, and compelling and exciting where I'm going to grow and learn a lot in the process. That's part of what I've enjoyed so much at Grinnell. I've, I've learned a great deal here. Um, but after working in higher education for, uh, it'll be 23 years now, uh-huh. um, I'm excited about the chance to, to try something different. Yeah. Yeah. It certainly will be a challenge. Um, what vision will you bring to Punahou and how will your experience at Grinnell kind of impact that vision? You know, I think one of the things that I have become more and more, uh, aware of is the significance and the importance of pursuing, I think, what we would call an inquiry-led approach to teaching and Uh learning. Um, Grinnell does this really, really well. From the very start, students at Grinnell are exposed to thinking about the unanswered questions, the big problems, the spaces for creative interpretation in whatever field that they're studying. Uh, They're not given a body of receive knowledge or a set of principles or facts that they just commit to memory and at right. the appropriate time then you know, return them. Re- yeah. re- exactly. Um, I think what happens at Grinnell is that you get students explore, involved in the process of discovery, the process of creating knowledge. And I think that way of teaching, that way of engaging students is something which really can translate well uh, into younger years as well. Uh-huh. Uh, I think to the extent that you can get students thinking about the unanswered questions to the extent that you can have a teacher or a professor involved in partnership with students 
and looking at things which don't have easy answers or, or clear results. Yeah. That's where things get really exciting. Um, and I think you can do that in an honest and intellectually exciting way, even with younger kids. Yeah. And you can talk about what we know and what we don't know and what we still want to explore. Uh-huh. Um, that's something Grinnell, I think, is is really well known for and something I'd love to carry on. Yeah. So before you came to Grinnell, you taught history at Fordham. Mm-hmm. Uh, and from what I gather, you've enjoyed teaching students at undergraduate and high school level a lot, and you really enjoy that that learning process. Yeah. Um, I feel like in most careers, not really speaking from experience because this is my second real job, <laughs> but it seems like the higher up you go in terms of leadership positions, the less you do of the work that got you interested in that field mm-hmm. to begin with. So in your case, you obviously love teaching and then you became a dean, and now you're going to be president at Punahou, but you're not, unless you're a superhero principal or something like that, you're not really involved in the day-to-day classroom learning. You're more, you know, dealing with higher-level issues, administrative things. Did you feel during your time as dean um, that you're alienated from, like, the excitement of that classroom learning, and is that something that you want to kind of get get yeah. tap into again? Yeah. I, I don't think I would say I felt alienated from it. Um, I'm not sure that's the, the right word, but I, I certainly, I certainly miss it. Uh-huh. You know, it's, it's something that, you know, it really was engagement directly in the classroom with students that got me excited about deciding to go get a PhD in history, got yeah. me excited about, you know, becoming a, a historian and a faculty member. I've enjoyed my research. I feel like I've made good contributions to my field, but it's never what really drove me. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's different. You know, some people, so I have some colleagues who you tell them they're going to be in an archive by themselves with a bunch of documents <laughs> for six months. Boy, that sounds like heaven. Yeah. Uh, not for me, uh-huh. you know. Um, uh, after a while, you know, I would start talking to the houseplants. You know, it's just, uh, I need to be in an environment where that kind of teaching and learning exchange is happening. Uh-huh. Uh, so I do miss it. And one of the things that I'm really eager to do at Punahou is to find ways in collaboration with their teachers and having discussion groups with students to get myself back into that direct contact with students. Uh-huh. Um, it's not easy to do because, you know, as you know, these other demands are coming at you. Yeah. Um, but it's something that I've realized it, it's just so important to my sense of who I am and what I want to do that I'm going to have to find ways to get back to it. Uh-huh. What have you learned from working with the faculty here at Grinnell? I think what I've learned is... And I guess what I've been most impressed by is this is a group of faculty who are constantly asking what they can do to improve their ability to work with students. Uh I've never seen a group of people more concerned and more attentive to the learning experience of every student in the classroom. I know I'm reaching those students over there. I know they're comfortable. What can I do now to help those students in this other area? What can I do to make my classroom more inclusive? What can I do to ensure I'm reaching and engaging every student? Is there a better way I can improve this? What if I brought in a partnership with this community organization? Uh-huh. What if we tried this experiment? Um, that process of constantly renewing and constantly assessing and evaluating what you do to try to innovate and improve uh, is something that, that really stands out. And, and it's something I've really admired and, and I'm eager to, I think, to bring back that ethic uh, to the teachers that I'll work with in the future. But I think I've been inspired by that, that vision more broadly in terms of, you know, I mean, Renard Kington will call Grinnell a learning liberal arts college, uh-huh. um, reflecting not only the idea that students are learning, which we hope they are, <laughs> uh, but that faculty are learning and administrators uh-huh. are learning. We're all in the process of constantly trying to learn more about what we do and figure out how to do it better. Yeah. And, and that is something that's really, really inspired me. So one of the major initiatives you were a part of here at Grinnell was the Global Grinnell Task Force, mm-hmm. uh, which led to the creation of the new Institute for Global Engagement. Why was that a priority of yours? And, and what value do you see in it for Grinnell students moving yeah. forward? That, you know, I think part of the reason I think that's so important is really thinking about the world that our students are going to graduate into. Um, they are graduating into a world that is far more globally interconnected than ever before. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, today this big UN uh, task force released this major document on uh, biodiversity. 
uh, and it talks about the rate of species loss and what the implications are of species loss, uh, not only for uh, genetic diversity itself, but the impact upon climate, on agriculture, on economics, on uh, human social relationships. Uh, it's a brilliant example of the kind of global issue that is now coming to the fore that our graduates are going to have to wrestle and deal with. Uh -huh. You know, whether it's climate change or biodiversity or food security or renewable energy or uh, primary education, uh, global health care, these are all questions which don't remain within borders. Mm. They're all complicated questions that uh, cross borders and will have an increasingly pivotal effect on students' lives. So I think it's our responsibility as a college to graduate students who are equipped to think in global terms, who've had some experience uh, thinking about engaging with, living and studying in other, other parts of the world. And I think that ultimately, Grinnell has moved in the right direction in that regard. I'm struck by the fact that one in five of our students comes from outside the United States, uh -huh. from more than 50 countries. And that means they bring a different set of questions, they bring a different way of learning, they bring a different perspective, and that really enhances the experience for all of our students. Um, a good friend of mine who's now on the college's uh, board of trustees, Atul Gupta, uh, arrived in Grinnell uh, from India, uh, from Delhi, in the mid-1980s. You can imagine the transition yeah. from, from one of the great cities of India to the small town in rural <laughs> Iowa. One of the great cities of Iowa. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you can imagine what that was like, you know. Yeah. Um, and he tells me later, he says, he's recently told me that uh, his roommates didn't realize it at the time, but by living with him for four years, they were studying abroad. Uh -huh. <laughs> uh, and I, I really like that framing because I think it reflects the opportunity that we have. And so to come up with an institute that looks at the series of overlapping issues, our international students, our off-campus study programs, our opportunities to engage with alumni, to pursue interdisciplinary teaching, to look at these big sort of global questions through symposia, through faculty and staff development initi initiatives, we needed an institute which would have the ability to reach across all these different divisions of the college administrators, faculty, staff, alumni, development, strategic planning, and make that at the heart of what we do. Um, and I think it's a big part of who we are. Um, we need to represent that to the audiences that we look at. You know, come to Iowa, see the world. That's yeah. uh, that's the message. Yeah, no. In all seriousness. It is. I mean, it's very true. And in my years at Grinnell, that's been one of the things that I value the most is that we really do bring the world to our doorstep here in Grinnell. It's... Absolutely. You know, through the, and also, you know, the visiting faculty and scholars that uh -huh. we have from other countries as well. Um, you know, we're building more partnerships with foreign institutions, including some in the global South. Um, this, this just, I think is just, it has to be an integral part of what our students experience. Yeah. So recently the college hosted a, a global research and fellowship symposium where alumni came back to, to talk about their experiences and you talked about your experience or lack thereof yeah. specifically in your, in your speech in that realm, but mostly about the process of applying and getting rejected from Fulbright, Rhodes, Marshall scholarships. Right. But you really emphasize the importance of applying to those fellowships and thinking about your interests and, and how they might coalesce around a certain topic and also how they align with your community. So how do you think about, in that context, your path that you've taken coming from Fordham to Grinnell and mm -hmm. then back to Punahou, thinking about how your what your skill set and interests are and how they align with how you can impact the world around you? Mm -hmm. That's a really good question. It's a big question. It is. It is a big um, question. You can take a second to, to, <laughs> to think about. Um, I think what I've discovered is, I mean, first, and I, and I knew this pretty early, I knew I was really interested in what ultimately are historical questions. I knew I was really interested in how institutions and cultures and societies evolved over time, uh, why they changed as they did, uh, what the impact of this was, uh, how our understanding of the past really impacted current debates about the alternatives and choices we face in the present. Um, that became pretty clear to me 
as early as probably when I was probably 16, 17 years old. Hmm. Um, thinking about history as a competing set of interpretations about the past that, that bore on the present that you could contribute to. Um, and I think that way of thinking was one that, you know, began to just take hold in my mind. Um, it's what ultimately led me to go do a PhD in history. It's what led me to become uh, a teacher of history. Mm -hmm. And and I think that way of thinking has stuck with me in many respects. But I think what I also discovered was that I had deeper interests in the broader process of education itself and what, what a, a liberal arts college in particular ought to be doing in terms of trying to educate its students, how we could do that as effectively as we could. At their very best, the liberal arts really do liberate you. Mm. They help you discover interests or talents or abilities that you didn't know that you possessed. Uh, and I think they help you realize that the really big important question that you face as a student, as a young person, really is not, what am I good at? Mm -hmm. that, that's the question your parents might be asking, you know, <laughs> what is this kid good at? Um, at times you might be asking that. Yeah. But, you know, for students at a place like Grinnell, I mean, these are really terrific students. They're good at a lot of things. Yeah. The really important question is not, what am I good at? The mm -hmm. really important question is, what do I care about? Mm. What, what, what matters to me? Yeah. What might I be willing to commit myself to? And the only way you answer that question is by engaging in a process of real reflection and discernment. Um, it requires that you think seriously not only about what you want, but what's worth wanting and, and, and what motivates you. Um, and I think that, I guess what I've realized over time is that while I've always been interested in history and these changes at the social and cultural level, I've become more and more interested in this process of human development as well, about mm. the way that individuals grow and change and define themselves. And, you know, I think an approach to education that really helps students engage in that more reflective process is really crucial. Yeah. Um, that, that, that is, I think, you know, oftentimes we sort of have that sitting in the background, unexamined, undiscussed. Yeah. And yet, surely, it's it's got to be one of the major outcomes uh, of any kind of, you know, any kind of a goal for for what a college or a school should try to promote. Absolutely, yeah. I think in our society in general, we don't have a lot of time for that kind of reflection. Um, and it's, I mean, it's I think it's true in Grinnell as well, not because of Grinnell specifically as an institution, but because it's a part of the world that that we live in, and it's so fast paced. And you're you know you're thinking about the homework that you have to do for class tomorrow, you're not thinking about how your, you know, your coursework from the past couple of years and these other internships or experiences and maybe just who you are as a kid growing up contributes to this kind of vision that you might have for who you are as a person. It's yeah, I think that's true. This was something that Fordham at various points uh, could pursue really well. Hmm. It's something that I think is embedded in some of the history of Jesuit education. It's, I mean, the, the concept of, dis of discernment itself is a mm -hmm. big one for the Jesuits. Um, and yet, I would say that that broader frame of reference is one which I think can have meaning and relevance across any kind of a setting. Uh -huh. uh, a secular one uh, like Grinnell's, um, uh, a K-12 one uh, like Punahou. Um, I think this process of trying to get a better sense of who you are and what matters to you, and deliberately creating the space and the opportunities to do that is something we do far too little of uh, and something that's, you know, I would say of pivotal importance. Yeah. Now, you didn't get any of those fellowships that you applied for after graduating <laughs> from Pomona, but right. since then you have had various international opportunities, for example, teaching in, in China at Nanjing University. Uh -huh. um, how have your own global experiences influenced your your personal development and your ideas about education. Yeah. Uh, that year I spent teaching in China was fantastic. Um, my Chinese students were incredibly brilliant. I was teaching uh, Chinese graduate students. Okay. Um, and I was teaching them courses on uh, really an American history and the history of the Cold War. Hmm. Uh, and to teach, you know, to talk about the history of American slavery to a group of Chinese graduate students or to talk about the evolution of, uh, of, of the Cold War in the 50s and the 60s to, to Chinese graduate students. It was just fascinating because uh -huh. they had such completely different questions, different frame of reference, um, things that you took for granted 
that you just sort of assumed everybody understood they had never heard of before. Mm-hmm. Uh, things that you felt sure they would have a hard time with, they got immediately. Mm-hmm. And so it it was, as a teaching experience, incredibly valuable um, and, and, and really, really exciting. But the whole process of immersing yourself in a culture that you really don't understand, uh, that the rules and practices and things which shape daily life are, are really foreign to you in, in a powerful way, um, is, is really beneficial. Uh, it creates a different framework through which you view your own society. Uh, and and it, you know, it just changes the way that you perceive the world. Um, you know, while I was there, uh, you may recall there was an incident in, uh, I think it was the spring of 2001, uh, where an American aircraft, uh, which was engaged in surveillance off the Chinese coast, uh, was involved in a collision with a Chinese fighter aircraft mm-hmm. uh, and was brought down uh, onto Hainan Island and um, uh, part, of, part of the People's Republic and was detained there uh, along with the crew. And there was this international incident that began to emerge. What would China do with this American aircraft? What would they do with the crew? Um, uh, how would this get resolved? And you know, suddenly, as this was happening live, the U.S. students and the Chinese students who were at this institute in Nanjing began to discuss this <laughs> uh, in groups very seriously. And it was fascinating to watch. And what I discovered and what I was most impressed by was, you know, these were students who were roommates. Typically, one U.S. student and one Chinese student were roommates. They okay. were pairs uh, in these residence halls. And a lot of the reason for this was to promote cultural understanding. You yeah. get to know somebody pretty pretty well if you share a room with them. Mm-hmm. Um, but also language training. They would alternate languages on different days. One day we'll speak English, the next day it's Chinese. Nice. Which was pretty cool. Uh, so these were students who know each, knew each other pretty well, and they began to discuss this and try to work out, you know, what would a possible resolution look like. And I was so impressed by the fact that, you know, within a fairly short window of time, uh, even when emotions got fairly heated about this, they reasoned their way to what began to look like a pretty good diplomatic resolution. Uh-huh. And they did so a whole lot faster than Beijing and Washington did. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and it just reinforced for me the incredible value of having that experience of getting to know and live and understand a foreign culture. You know, I think that uh, Americans despite our tremendous uh, advantages in terms of economics and our tremendous advantages in terms of our quality of life and uh, I would argue other institutional resources, we can also be a very provincial people. Hmm. Um, And the opportunity for Americans to spend time living abroad, engaging with another culture, it's just priceless, Hmm. you know. Um, I mean, among the key pieces of advice I would give to any American college student is to to get out of the country. Yeah. Uh, go spend some time abroad. Spend spend at least a semester. Spend a year if you can. Mm-hmm. Um, and and go through that kind of process. Hmm. So as we near your departure from Grinnell, um, what impact do you hope you've had during your during your years here? I hope that I've helped the faculty do their jobs even more effectively. Um, one of the things I'm proudest of is our faculty's commitment to give every student a significant research experience. Mm. Um, I think that's really important. Uh, students who get involved in research, um, there are a number of concrete advantages. They wind up as co-authors on professional journal articles. They deliver papers at regional or national conferences, sometimes the only undergraduate in the room. Yeah. Um, when they apply to medical school or law school or graduate school, they can write really compelling personal statements about what they've achieved and what they've done. The faculty who've supervised them can write really compelling letters of recommendation about their originality and their creativity. Mm-hmm. But I would say at a deeper level, when students get involved in research, and you know, David Lopato, actually, a, a psychology professor here at Grinnell, has been an expert in promoting this view. Um, when students get involved in research, they mature intellectually and personally. They become better problem solvers. They develop a higher degree of self-confidence. They get better at handling uncertainty or ambiguity. They learn how to make a better argument. Uh, they grow and change as people in ways that enable them to thrive in the rest of their careers. 
they develop precisely the kind of skills and habits of mind and abilities that are going to serve them very well wherever they go and in whatever they do. Um, and to the extent that Grinnell has now made that an integral part of what we do for every student, I think we've deeply enriched the experience of, of what the liberal arts can provide. Yeah, it seems like a good a good impact, a good legacy to leave in your yeah. In I'm your very time here, I'm so. very pleased, and and I give our faculty enormous credit. Doing that work takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of energy, uh, and you know they've really they're, they're, it's just spectacular what they've done. Mm-hmm. Well, Mike, thank you for your time here at Grinnell, and best of luck to you in the warm weather in Hawaii. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, I've I've had a great experience here, and um, I hope to be back uh, often in the future. Cool. Thank you. Thanks. Mike Latham served as the Vice President of Academic Affairs and Dean of the College since 2014 and will be leaving the college to become the President at Punahou High School in Hawaii. Every year, language departments in Grinnell bring in native speakers of that language to help students learn the language and really to learn about the culture. The language assistants, usually students in their own right, at the graduate or undergraduate level, live with students in the language houses, teach language and conversation courses, and tutor students in the language labs. They bring their perspectives from all around the world to Grinnell, Iowa, the middle of everywhere. And it's fascinating to see how they adapt to Grinnell, as well as how the students embrace them. When I was a student, I didn't realize how much language assistants did on campus, but this year they really made an impact on me and the campus as a whole. So I sat down to talk with the language assistants from the German, Russian, and Spanish departments and reflect on their time in Grinnell. Uh, Hi, I'm Carla. Uh, I'm from Southern Germany, and I study cultural studies and American studies. So I'm studying you. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, My name is Masha. I'm from Russia, from Irkutsk, near Lake Baikal, and my degree is in economics and management. My name is Melanie. I'm from Argentina. Um, I'm a textile designer. Grinnell was definitely an adjustment for most of you, as you came from big cities, especially by Grinnell standards. And not having access to public transportation was a big difference for you. But I know all of you did make it out of Grinnell. Carla, you and Melanie went on road trips with the student group Extreme. Masha, you frequented Iowa City for bird watching and took some trips with the Russian department. But thinking about Grinnell, thinking about your experience here over the past year, what are your favorite parts of Grinnell? I can say that my favorite part is the diversity that I went through. Before coming here, I didn't know what was a liberal arts school. And most of it is diversity and doing different things. Um, And I'm that kind of person that does a lot of things and in a very intensive way. And I had the chance here to do all of them, mm-hmm. not just uh, teach uh, Spanish, but also uh, dance. That is a huge part of my life. I also design things with art and crafts or designing by the, with the computers. I'm a designer. Um, spending time with friends, uh, just talking. I act. And that was a first yep. time thing. <laughs> Although you didn't necessarily know that you were going to get into that. No. <laughs> I, I roped you into that one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's true. Um, so, yeah, I like... And also the classes that I took as a student, mm. those were really different. Um, so I really, really appreciate uh, my experience as, as a diverse experience. Mm-hmm. Talking about the college itself, I would say that people get the chance here to do so many things outside of um, their classes, that is not necessarily given at bigger universities. Mm-hmm. Like I'm used to going to university like as a job, you go there and then you go home and you have your life separate from that. And uh. of course you have friends through the university, but um, all of that, like all of those extracurricular activities, clubs that are concerned with so many issues, like, social justice and environmental and art things, music things. Um, I think you have a great opportunity to participate in a lot of things and explore a lot of things that don't necessarily have to do with your studies, but they might lead you on to different 
pass. Yeah. Yeah, well, I agree with you guys. Of course, like the the opportunities to engage in the different activities. If you want to sing in the choir, which I did, you can sing. <laughs> if you want to play in the theater, which Melanie did, you can play in the theater. You can dance and dance ensemble. You can, I don't know, organize your own club, film club, even have like a philosophy debates if you wish. So like everything you can do. And uh, Grinnell, it's very supportive in this field. And uh, I think another thing which really amazed me it's academical system too that it's very small place Grinnell itself it's very remote remote but Grinnell managed uh, kind of gather all the best real experts in their field so every single professor is just really really talented engaging smart people and um, it was a hard year I have to say in terms of studying and teaching at the same time but it was really comfortable place because there's a lot of accessible resources nice cozy places I love library here we have a office too so it's it's really interesting I'm really glad that Grinnell happened in my life with a lot of challenges but I'm glad because without a Grinnell I think it will be difficult for me to move on my next step like Grinnell prepared me for my next step so I really really appreciate this yeah and the diversity you're right Melanie so there are so many people I never like I've been working in liberal art college but it's a bit different system there so it was interesting to meet like new people with different points of view and learn new things new culture so you kind of all occupy a unique space because you're like half student, half faculty, and like 100% awesome, cool people that bring your, your culture and language to the middle of Iowa. But how did it work for each of you kind of finding your place and your role in the short time that you were here? Like how did you kind of... How did you figure out how to fit in and how did you end up fitting in? Well, I, I can say, first of all, it's like really great that we had each other in the beginning mm. because we like knew, but we are doing similar job, uh, even though like then we found our own ways and like we made our own friends. We have a friends in common, but still it's great that we had each other in the beginning. I think it helped me at least a lot. Uh, but then, yeah, it's really, really interesting and tricky question. I think we've been solving this puzzle till the very, very end. Who are we, like students or teachers? Uh, shall we hang out with professors who are really busy? <laughs> or shall we hang out with students who are like partying every day? <laughs> but then, yeah, like it it's kind of naturally came to me. I, I was struggling a lot, especially sharing house with another like nine people, young students who wants to party. And I understand them and I don't want to be like, can I say poop party, party, party pooper or something? <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, like I, I, I was struggling with this. But then, I don't know, like friends came naturally from like activities and uh, from the things we like. And we still have each other. If we sad or happy, we can always like talk to each other. I mean, mm -hmm. language assistance. Yeah, I think that because we are just one year here, adaptation has to be fast. Yeah. So in my experience, the first semester was all about adaptation, uh, understanding that we have this double identity here. Some students may not know that we are language assistances. Some of our students don't know that we are also students. Mm -hmm. And for me, in the second semester was more about not being so concerned about that double identity, mm -hmm. but more about... Um, doing the things that I enjoy and I, that I need as a human being within my responsibilities. And yes, I absolutely agree with Masha that being the three of us together at the beginning was really helpful and, and still we are and getting involved with a lot of other people. For me, friends and community is the most important thing in order to be stable and happy. Uh -huh. Yeah, I, I agree with both of them. Um, it kind of grew out of this little language circle to a greater circle of friends. And certainly like the, the 
best memories we will take are from like gatherings with friends, I guess, or, like at least for me. Um, but it was also great to be integrated in the faculty or like to a certain extent, of course, but the the faculty meetings and like like Claire Francis, I can give a shout out for her because she she um, showed us around. It was kind of like a a, a person to talk to. Um, and that kind of shows that we're being taken seriously in our role as uh-huh. someone who is teaching and that we're like part of this language department. I cannot, of course, only speak for myself, but I think that really helped to get settled here. Uh, and also to take on that new role, because for me, it was new to yeah. teach students and teach students in language, with, which I have never done. Uh-huh. Um, but it turned out to be really, really fun. Um in one word, describe Grinnell and explain explain the word. Yeah, I can start. Okay. I, I thought of überraschend, uh, which is surprising because to me uh, it was really surprising. I don't even know what I expected exactly, but mm. it was um, definitely not this. <laughs> like I thought I would search for more opportunities to, I don't want to say escape, but like I thought I would search for opportunities to get off campus yeah. much more, like be by myself. But it actually was um, the case that it, I, I loved like walking somewhere and meeting three people on the way uh-huh. and being greeted and yeah. um, being in this like closed community and we're all in the same boat. Yeah. So yeah, to me it was überraschend, surprising. So don't laugh at me, okay? No promises. So, but the word in Russian I would describe Grinnell, it's kukuruza. 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 Yeah. So guess what does it mean? Crazy. Crazy, yeah, for me too. Well, no, it's corn. But, but, but listen, it's not because Iowa, it's uh, has nothing but corn fields. Corn, because to grow corn, right, you need to plant it, care for it fertilize it, uh, be very patient, and then it will bring sweet fruit, right? <laughs> the same with Grinnell. First, you have to work hard, work a lot, but in the end, this knowledge will bring many possibilities in life. And this knowledge can be used literally everywhere like corn in America. <laughs> <laughs> well, and plus the, the sounds of the word in Russian, kukuruza, it's kind of very strong but funny at the same time. So Grinnell has like this character of very, um, how to say, fundamental college because there's really a lot of work. But you still can find a way to have fun uh-huh. and enjoy. And it brings a lot of things for future. Yeah, that's a that's a big metaphor. We might need to unpack that one. <laughs> that's a that's another conversation. Um, okay, so rapid fire here. What are your Grinnell favorites? Dining hall food. I actually got a little hack for vegans. The because I like savory breakfast food, and they don't have a lot for vegans. But uh-huh. if there's a, the egg station is open, scrambled tofu is really good in a bagel, like mm. with some veggies. So. Vegan from the dining hall. Uh, what's your favorite building on campus? Library. It's yeah, really, really nice. Probably. It's yeah, it's cozy and especially those. Even though I'm a guest of glass windows because I care about birds, but still, <laughs> it's such a. But be- you can watch the birds uh, yeah, from early. Can, well, it's perfect. But, yeah. You got your binoculars up there in the jungle gym. Just True, looking jungle at gym. All the birds on yeah, campus. I like. I was like shocked when I came first there. Like jungle gym. There's like bicycle or something you can study. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. new. That's a yeah, newer development. Yeah, and those yes. pillows and the view from the library is great. So like, it's it's really great place. Yeah, there's a lot of spots where you can find um, yourself to study. Like it's a community in library. People gather, chat when they tired. Yeah, it's great. Great tea, great science in the toilets and stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a lot yes. of poems there. Yeah. Yes, the writing in the Berlin bathrooms. Yeah. I I would say that I'm in between Berlin and Baxfang because my favorite classes are, I, I took them in Baxfang. Mm-hmm. But what I like the most, most, most is when I walk through one to the other and I can walk through the grass. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah. Especially now, it's mm-hmm. so beautiful in spring. The the part between, uh, what is that, noise and building, mm-hmm. that is the most beautiful place. I think. Uh-huh. During my time 
as a student, I really didn't know any of the language assistants, um, which is my fault. And I like I'm I'm a stupid person for not having gotten to know them. But I'm sure none of them were of the caliber that that all three of you are. Um, and I've enjoyed getting to know you all this year. And I will surely miss all of you next year. Thank you so much. Yay. Melanie Israel, Masha Kustova, and Carla Wagner were this year's language assistants for Grinnell's Spanish, Russian, and German departments. They sat down to talk with me before heading off to new places. Carla, the German language assistant, will take a trip through the Pacific Northwest before heading back to Germany to finish her undergrad degree. Masha, the Russian language assistant, will return to Russia, then back to Middlebury College for their summer language program, and then in the fall, enroll as a grad student in Slavic studies at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Melanie, the Spanish language assistant, will join Masha at Middlebury after some travels. And then after that, the future is uncertain. But a return to the States may be in the cards. I'll keep my fingers crossed. Anya Chamberlain, class of 2019, sat down in the Smith Gallery outside of the dining hall for a week straight, inviting visitors to eat her homemade bread while she drew them. It was performance art, yet there was nothing performative about it. Chamberlain greeted guests with her freshly baked bread and received their time and some enlightening conversations in return. I talked with her after the week-long bread extravaganza was over, and she had some time to reflect on the experience. I asked her where the inspiration for this project came from. The final result product felt like kind of a natural culmination of a lot of things I've been doing or thinking about in art and then in the anthropology um, stuff I've been interested in. But the moment that I had like this kind of strong conviction of, oh my gosh, I want to sit in a room for a long period of time and interact with a bunch of people, like that, that kind of feeling came right after watching a documentary about Marina Abramovich's The Artist is Present, where she sat in Museum of Modern Art, I think, in New York <laughs> for three months every day and made eye contact with everybody who uh-huh. came and sat down um, across from her. So when I was watching the whole documentary, the part that intrigued me most was the the kind of endurance and I guess presence that she really had to practice to prepare for that, just to sit there and be with people. <laughs> and I immediately felt like, oh my goodness, I want to do that. I want to see what that feels like. Yeah. And then from that initial feeling of wanting to have an experience like that um, for myself, like being with people, then I thought, okay, well, what are all the other elements that I can bring together to make this feel like I would genuinely be there with people? Uh-huh. So it's interesting because, I mean, there's a lot of ways to do performance art, but in the case of this Serbian artist, she was kind of the exhibition. And mm-hmm. for your art, it was people come in, and you kind of are the performance artist in a way, but so are the people. So it's a very collaborative process mm-hmm. in a way that most art exhibits are not. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, I think part, like a kind of a distinction though with hers, it kind of seemed like she. I mean, she's this icon. The you know kind of just the fact that it was her being present was so powerful and like emotionally important to so many mm. people who like came across the world to sit there and stare into the eyes of Marina Romovich. And like, of course, that's not the case for me. So I was like not trying to replicate that aspect of it. Um, Maybe after your, your exhibit though, people now you've gained some celebrity status on campus as the, <laughs> as the, the bread giver. I you're definitely little, know more people. You're like Jesus. You just like turn <laughs> things into bread and magically make 12 loaves appear for people. Oh, yeah. Just magic. Just snap my fingers. Yeah. So it wasn't magic. So tell me a little bit about the process of making. You said you made about like a dozen loaves each day. Mm-hmm. So how does that happen? It doesn't It doesn't just magically appear. Yeah. Well, I, I just had to give myself a bit more of a strict schedule than than honestly I ever have because <laughs> I was like, well, I told people I'm going to do this, so I have to do this. <laughs> so I had, you know, all the amounts for all the the bread. Like I used sourdough starter, so I would feed the sourdough starter every morning and evening. I would make dough every morning. The dough sits 24 hours before you bake it. Um, so I really used the bread recipe that I normally use and I just adapted it to fit the schedule. Lots of early mornings. Yes, lots of early mornings, lots of kind of late nights, 
doing dishes too because <laughs> I feel like flour just poofed everywhere around <laughs> my kitchen and it was just like and my roommates were great and finding it weeks later in your clothes and things like that <laughs> oh yeah dough everywhere um not really that bad but it was definitely I mean the most bread I've ever baked in a week uh-huh. so it was kind of cool to push myself to do that and see what it's like I guess yeah some artists use oils maybe watercolors but bread is one that I haven't seen before as like a as a medium um why did you choose bread as kind of your medium of of interacting with people Mm -hmm. you know how people always kind of joke oh you want to get people to show up just bring food or whatever and that's kind (laughs) of like okay maybe in a way that is kind of what I was doing but not it's not just oh I'm bringing this food to get people to come to this other thing it's like no like thousands of years humans have been gathering around food and that is not something I guess with the bread that is a medium just like a way that I think I have grown up understanding brings people together right and so I just wanted to replicate that but yeah for a while I was thinking about oh I love the conversations that come out of dinner parties but I only invite people to dinner parties I already know yeah. because I'm not just like it's you can't approach a rant. I mean, maybe you could, but right. it's just Societal a lot easier. Expectations uh, delineate that that's kind of weird to do. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so I was thinking, how can I um, try to foster these kind of conversations that get a little bit below just like surface level, you know, daily interactions. And so I think having bread there as a way to show you know, if I'm giving someone something I have spent hours yeah. making, it's like this kind of nurturing. Yeah, maybe they'll open up a little bit as well. Yeah, and but not like, I think it happened very naturally. I didn't expect that, honestly. Okay. I didn't think about what conversation would be like beforehand. Ah. I knew I wanted to do something and give it to people. And I knew that was kind of an experiment. Like going into it, the way I was preparing for it was thinking, okay, I need to get ready to improvise for a week. This is like whole thing is an <laughs> improvisation. I've set up the space. I'm making this bread, but in terms of what really happens, uh-huh. I don't want to try to control it. Okay. Um, and then I just found myself having conversation with people all over the place. Yeah. And really interesting. Yeah. So what did you take away from the conversations that you had with people? Mm-hmm. I think overall being there in the gallery Maybe one thing I've realized most is that in our like daily lives at Grinnell, running from place to place, you have a to-do list. And I feel like despite what I that I despite the fact that I want to be able to have conversations and like connect with people, I'm distracted by this thought, oh no, I have to go there before it closes. Do this, right. print that book before I get to class, do that. Like and it's just this like ongoing kind Barrage. of yeah, of things in my mind. And sitting in the gallery being with people there was nothing else I had to do I I was I was pretty successful at not thinking about anything outside of like for that entire week Uh I was just like in this headspace of all I'm doing is baking bread being with people the way that that made me feel in terms of how I was sitting and interacting with people was it was really nice. Yeah. <laughs> Which in a way, I don't know, that maybe that sounds like a, a selfish interpretation of this because like I was the one that had the privilege of just like being there and not uh-huh. thinking about homework or whatever. <laughs> I dealt with that the next you, week. Yeah, I'm sure you had to deal with that. <laughs> um, but I think that feeling that when people came in and they're not wasting my time, like nobody was wasting my time. Uh-huh. They were there and they sometimes people were like, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I just wanted to come again. And I was like, no, you you don't have to be sorry. Like, <laughs> it was great to like let people do whatever they wanted. Like, some people came a bunch. Some people came one time and then just said thank you or whatever. Like, yeah, just that whatever people wanted or needed, that was really great. I think probably one of also like um, I think an important part of like the whole show is when students would ask like oh, is this a final project that you have to do? Or, like, they would assume, okay, this is a requirement. You're fulfilling this thing you have to do. Students were almost always surprised when I said, no, I'm not going to class for a week. Like, I think 
one of the things I wanted maybe students to like walk away thinking about is how do they want to be spending their time and that like you can choose like probably there are some grades in some of my classes it'll be like a little lower but when it comes down to it like you can decide and like find a way to kind of like step back and do what you need to do for yourself or investigate something that you want to do not because there's some requirement when what you want to do requires that you like slack or like don't do something else that like you're told needs to be a, be a priority it's right. like the feeling of like being ashamed that I don't like do some part of my homework like yes school is important like obviously I'm like here for a reason and yeah. want to be devoting myself to that but like the feeling that you can't stop and consider whether there's something else that would right. like be important to you like people I wanted to push myself to like be okay with being like quote-unquote like lazy in my classes yeah I just feel like a lot of like the intensity of like academia has been kind of hard for me but then I'm like wait why do I have to feel guilty about the fact that this is difficult and that I don't always like do as well as I feel like I should be like you know and so I wanted to like prove to myself that I can like put my energy toward other things and like that this whole world of like grades (laughs) grades <laughs> doesn't have to like make me feel good or bad about myself if I'm productive or not like the fact that when you see someone you say hey how's your day and it's like oh no it was bad I didn't get as much stuff done as I should have and then it's like why do you feel bad about yourself you're still the same human yeah. <laughs> like yeah speaking just from my own experience of of coming I I know that once I entered that door it was a I could feel the aura was very different. <laughs> I wrote in my journal like that night I've been I've been trying to like practice like writing at least one thing down in the journal of like even if it's a little thing that yeah, I'm like one word. grateful for <laughs> for the day okay, or like cool. something that happened. And like that that definitely made the journal. Um <laughs> for some of the reasons that you talked about it's like you took this time to make all this amazing bread for people and then share it but the space that you created there were people who just come in and interact how they wanted to and and oftentimes have like a a nice conversation with just random people that you had never talked to before Mm -hmm. that's something that I think is missing from most of our our daily lives um and I was thinking about in my own way how how I could do something like that like with the podcast so it was I don't think you should think of your your takeaway from it as selfish in in (laughs) okay because I imagine a lot of other people that came through also felt the same way. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and so you, the drawings that you did, you used basically a mixture of flour and water, mm-hmm. and then you put them in the oven. Mm-hmm. So why why did you choose to use that, and where the heck did you even come up with the idea to, to, to do that? Well, um, Lee Running, my drawing um, professor, gave me the idea to draw with bread. I mean, I've, I've done series of portraits before with ink, and I was like, okay, it's kind of fun. Or like, I know that I like doing that. I love working with charcoal. But both of those things, I was worried about like, okay, what if ink spills? It's just like, it's messy. It gets on your fingers. Yeah. Like, And then charcoal, like that's really gross to have on your hands if you're right. going to slice bread and give yeah. it to people. Yep. So it just kind of felt like it wasn't a part of the whole cohesive, like, uh, you uh, know. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, I was talking to Lee about it and she suggested what about flour and water I was like you can do that (laughs) you know so I like tried it out and I ended up using my actual sourdough starter because the acidity in the sourdough starter broke down some of the gluten so it was more um easy to paint with otherwise the gluten made it like gloppy and kind of sticky when she suggested that was like oh yeah that feels like the Uh like just kind of roll with it and that felt good and then when I was actually in the gallery I think I felt definitely the same way because it was like okay this table in front of me has a bunch of bread and then a jar with the same stuff that's in the bread like literally the same life yeah you know is yep there's these little yeast in the bread and then the yeast that's like going on my paper and it felt good like that I guess yeah it was very coherent so you also hosted a bread making workshop more recently as Mm -hmm. part of the Center for Prairie Studies Prairie Artisan Series. And you showed a bunch of us, some students, faculty, and staff, how to make your bread. And we tried our own hand at it. Mm-hmm. I couldn't help but notice that your relationship to bread is just as much art as it is science, maybe. <laughs> uh, and a lot of elements of the 
bread making process require a knowledge that you can only come by through doing and, and feeling with your hands as opposed to reading or hearing about it from someone else like yourself. <laughs> um, so how do you think about food and specifically bread in terms of art versus science and kind of combining your academic and intellectual interests with the physical hand knowledge that John Anderson is so fond of talking about? <laughs> yeah. I feel like I think about a lot of things in like as interdisciplinary a way as possible. And like, I think a lot of art processes require you to do it enough so that, as you said, like the knowledge is in like in your body more than in your mind to really like think like and be able to explicitly say what you're doing. But it's Mm -hmm. just like, you know, the more you do it, the more that's like a part of your your body's kind of like ability or like movement or whatever Um, muscle memory almost right yeah and then the science part I think I'm just interested in that it helps me understand why certain like things are happening with the bread so Mm -hmm. like it's and it's totally related to like my sensory experience of like when the sourdough starter is ready to bake with then like that that tangy like gassy scent what is that you know Mm -hmm. I'm just like can't help but be curious maybe what ties them together I think for me is the observation aspect of it like Mm -hmm. the first art that I guess I really did um in college was drawing and what I really liked about that is that it you can't lie to yourself and say that you are like observing something like it will be evident on the piece of paper if you are not like truly there and like seeing what you are looking at rather than you know relying on a kind of image in your mind of what you Uh think you're seeing like you can't have this monologue going on in your brain you have to be there and really observant so that process of observation is probably something that's also really important to science you know like to know what's going on with the bread to to feel the texture to be able to develop that intuition I think that's that observation is important to science and art. It's a good observation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, to, I'm sure you're still making bread for your friends, and I'm <laughs> sure you will continue to I've do so. I've kind of taken a break. <laughs> as you should, as you should. Thank you for coming and talking to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anya's reign as the bread queen of Grinnell came to an end as she graduated in May. And this summer, she's working with students on self-directed projects to improve a local park before she heads off to Poland in July for a language course. I mentioned in the interview that Anya hosted a bread-making workshop at Grin City Bakery. They just recently opened up shop in downtown Grinnell. We'll hear from them in the fall when we talk to father and son owners Bill and Andy Mollison. In the meantime, get on over there if you're in town and get your hands on a donut. They're delicious. School's out for summer. Grinnell has quieted down since commencement and alumni reunion weekend, but for those people who are staying around town for the summer, there's still a lot going on. Catch a movie under the stars, sit back and relax for some music in Central Park, get your local foods fix at the farmer's market on Thursday and Saturday. Spend a little time outside in the garden, When you've worked up a sweat from all that hard work, take a dip in the pool, and then sit down with a good book and a nice cold glass of lemonade as the sun sets. Summer in Grinnell also means Summerfest, the college's day-long celebration of learning and discovery for curious minds of all ages. On June 15th, participants from all around Iowa descended upon campus to immerse themselves in the academic, cultural, and social atmosphere of the college. From music performances and academic lectures to hands-on art and handicrafts, the activities run the gamut of interesting topics, and there's something sure to pique everyone's interest. This is the fifth year of Summerfest, which is free and open to the public. Summerfest brings people to campus from here in town but also from all across Iowa and beyond. The people who came to my podcast workshop were from all over the place. I'm Barbara McKenna, and I came from Iowa City, Iowa. I came from Somerville, Massachusetts. Sean Borch from Kansas City, Missouri. 
My name's Billy. I was born and raised here in Grinnell, Iowa, and I've been coming to this event ever since it was first held. I'm Cecilia Bagnoli, and I grew up in Grinnell, Iowa. I'm Kent McClellan, a retired faculty member, and I live here in Grinnell at the Mayflower. I'm Razmeet Samra. I'm a Grinnell College student. I was working on campus for a summer, so I just came over to Summerfest. <laughs> Carmen Rubatanera. I go to Grinnell College, and I'm working here this summer. Hi, I'm Dan McCannon, and I took a plane, a train, and an automobile to come to Summerfest from beautiful Somerville, Massachusetts. The McCannon family spent the morning doing the amazing chase, giving them an opportunity to explore the college and meet some new people. It was fun. It was hard. There were some places that we just found right away, and some places we had to like dig around, go up into a building, go down a hallway, go down more hallways. There were some where you had to go and high-five someone or meet a new person. That was fun. I thought that it was incredibly charming and that it really allowed people of a lot of different abilities and sensibilities to participate. We had recently done a similar kind of event at Harvard, so we got a really nice contrast about how this one was all about connecting with people and all about using our senses and about living and enjoying the environment. And the one we did at Harvard was all about cutting corners and solving puzzles and being first and, and really chasing. And so it was, it was lovely. It really gave a sense of the culture of, of Grinnell. So kudos to that team of people who put that together. Billy, the seventh grader from in town, loves coming to Summerfest and was particularly excited for the theater improv workshop with Sandy Moffat. Billy is a Summerfest veteran, and there's something new every year that keeps him coming back. I keep coming back because I find lots of new things to do here, even stuff that hasn't happened before. Like, we haven't had a had an acapella performance in the evening like we will this evening with voice play. While Billy was at the improv workshop, I went over to the open book event, where people acted as books, and participants moved around the room listening to the stories of people. Sherry Gupta, a 1988 graduate of Grinnell and the executive director of Culture All, who put on the program, said that Open Book promotes social cohesion and inclusive communities through these personal stories. The workshop gave us the time and space to listen and engage with someone who had a story to share, one-on-one, face-to-face. My first book was Abe Goldstein. On the bottom of the note, it's, don't worry, we'll have kosher food. (laughs) Just because my name is Goldstein does not mean I have any interest in eating kosher food. Uh Or like the friends of mine who call me because they're going to Israel and want to know what to see. Yeah. The hell should I know? What? I've, never, I've never been to Israel. I don't even have a desire to go to Israel. Which brings up the question, okay, what kind of Jew are you? <laughs> you don't want kosher food. As a matter of fact, I salivate at the thought of Graziano's pork sauce. Right? <laughs> uh, I don't want to go to Israel. I have no interest in going to Israel. I hardly celebrate any Jewish holiday. I didn't require my kids to have bar or bat mitzvahs. But yet, when the Hasidic rabbi in Des Moines needs a minion, 10 men to say certain prayers, he knows he can call me and I'll go there. And then there's a breakfast cafe on the corner of his street where I'll stop for bacon and eggs afterwards. (laughs) So it comes back to what kind of Jew am I? So... My son, who lives in Minneapolis, buys a house in St. Louis Park in Minneapolis. Yeah. And the rabbi, in the conversation, asked my son, Well, Hayden, what kind of Jew were you raised as? And my son looks at me with a smile and looks back at the rabbi and says, I'm a Goldstein Jew. <laughs> so the tradition continues. I didn't get to read all the books, but the ones I did were fascinating, as were many of the other offerings at Summerfest. The lecture on dark matter was a big hit and many kids enjoyed learning with animals from the Blank Park Zoo and doing arts and crafts with the Falconer Gallery and Quilting Guild. With all this activity, we needed some sustenance. And the food trucks hit the spot, offering freshly squeezed lemonade, Jamaican and Mexican food, as well as some good old American barbecue. And of course, Summerfest wouldn't be complete without an ice cream truck. The weather was beautiful throughout the day, But storms quickly descended upon Grinnell, and a sunny day gave way to a stormy night. The final performance of the day had to be canceled, but with full bellies and minds all around, another successful Summerfest was in the books. 
There's still plenty of summer left. Whatever summer means to you, I hope you enjoy and make the most of it. As for the podcast, this episode wraps up Season 1 of All Things Grinnell. The podcast will be back again in the fall for another year of stories and interviews, but I'm taking the summer to make my way through all the interviews I've done this year and come up with some new stories. There's a lot to get through, and I'm excited to share them with you soon. I've got interviews with some incredible scholars from Grinnell and around the world, as well as a ton of fascinating alumni interviews and some stories about the history of Grinnell, both the town and the college. There's a lot, so enjoy your break, because when we come back, we're coming in full steam ahead. And with that, we'll wrap up this week's episode and the first season of All Things Grinnell. It's been an absolute pleasure. Music for today's show comes from Brett Newski and Poddington Bear. If you'd like to contact the show, email us at podcast at grinnell.edu or check out our website, grinnell.edu slash podcast for more information about the guests from today's show. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. I'm your host, Ben Benversi. Stay weird, Grinnellians.